Welcome back to the EM Stud Podcast. Today we're going to take another look at Match Day 2021, which was no doubt successful, but also the result of a very atypical application season and what it may mean for the upcoming year. Scott? Yeah, Nate, I'm meeting with my students. They're going off to their new locations. Everyone's excited about this match. I think there was a lot of anxiety going into this, but hey, I mean, we talked about this. It was a big success. And today, to do a little bit more of an in-depth dive in a different perspective, we've got an old friend of the show. Um, we've got an amazing person, a, a recovering clerkship director, okay? Um, we're all recovering clerkship directors. And so we've got our good friend, Mike Van Meter. Dr. Van Meter uh, has a lot of experience in student advising, served on the uh, Council of Residency Directors in Emergency Medicine, Student Advising Task Force, real leader in the organization, who currently serves as a program director at the University of Houston McGovern College of Medicine for their emergency medicine program. So Mike, thanks for coming on to the show today. Tell us a, a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, no, it's, it's wonderful to be here. Uh, I think it's been uh, five years since we, we last spoke, at least in this, this format. So I'm excited to kind of come back on. The, I, I've been program director now, closing in on about four years. Um, I like the, the title of recovering clerkship director. Uh, very much still, I think, passionate about advising students, mentorship. Um, that's, that's very much part of the bread and butter, I think, of what I enjoy doing, what I'm fulfilled with. So um, I look at that as a privilege and a privilege to be here with you guys. Well, awesome. Yes. Thanks again for coming back on. So let's start out with uh, just talking about the match this year. I mean, clearly we go through this every year, but uh, this past year, I think it's fair to say that uh, it was uh, very different for many, many people. So can you give us just a, a broad overview in general terms here? Uh, what, what happened? How did it go? Yeah, well, no, and I, I thought you guys did a, a wonderful job breaking down the, the data that we got from the NRMP. Uh, so I, I think I can't, I can maybe embellish upon that a little bit and maybe just highlight a few things that we could cliff note. Um, so I think with regard to the overall match in emergency medicine, specific to our specialty, um, obviously an increasing number of applicants, the most applicants I think we've ever had, and it was 4,391 to be precise. Um, so that increased. And I think for better and maybe for worse, but that would be the, uh, the um, topic of, for another, I think, venue. Uh, the, the number of positions in emergency medicine over that time span has also increased. Um, so um, I think about a thousand new applicants over the last four or five years uh, to emergency medicine in total and about 800 plus positions over that time frame. So we've kept pace, which is good news from the applicant coming into the program. Again, I mentioned, you know, the, maybe the bad news is on the graduating side of it um, and the workforce uh, that has been recently, uh, I think, a hot topic. Um, that might be a different story. And so we have to kind of, we'll look at that, I think, uh, in a different venue. But yeah, I think from an applicant applying to emergency medicine, um, that's good news. The one thing I also noticed there though, was I think the percentage of US graduates um, matching, I believe was 1% lower uh, than it was in years prior. And I, personally have felt that um, within our own organization and talking with colleagues around the country. So we don't have data to really look at what those applicants, um, you know, appeared on paper as, uh, or what their metrics were. But um, I have some anecdotes I think I can maybe share in, uh, in sort of talking with some students who went on match that I think all of us would have been surprised uh, to find them soaping 
the, the, the week following uh, or the week of match. And so uh, we can kind of maybe dig into that in a second. Yeah, Mike. I mean, I think everybody's going to draw a big line in their timeline, you know, <laughs> COVID, pre and post COVID. And we're seeing some new trends. You talked about a trend for more applicants. We talked about a trend for more residency programs. Uh, what else do you think COVID has thrown at us just recently? And, and what are we looking at moving forward? Are there other trends we can expect from a program director's perspective, or maybe in listening to the students that you mentor? Yeah, so I think um, one, and this, this hopefully will improve. I think everyone was caught um, on the fly this year, and we all had to sort of, you know, bob and weave through the season together. Programs and applicants um, were, were very much having to, you know, work through a de novo situation. So I would, I would say that um, one of the concerns I've got, and we, I, I think this is where, you know, the overall, um, uh, not to jump ahead, but the overall success of the match. Um, I think you guys are right with regard to the, the, the overall data. The success of the match was, was a fairly resounding one, given the way it could have potentially turned out. But on the other side of that, I think we also had less data. Applicants had less data to make a decision about emergency medicine, to make a decision about a program that they liked or did not like. Um, and programs have less data to choose applicants with um, and, and find that right fit. So I think um, for me, it's one of those things when I look at this, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I think that it'll, I think this is just me being a little paranoid perhaps but I would imagine I'll be much more confident saying this was a resounding success for programs and for applicants from a global perspective um, six months into next year, basically in the middle of the interview season after applicants have had that tincture of time and programs, you know, as residents in their, their chosen programs uh, to say, okay, this, this was the right fit for me, the right specialty, the right, the right program. Um, and I'm very happy here and I'm thriving as opposed to, you know, did you make the right choice in specialty? Did you, did you uh, find the right fit for a program? Um, there's a little bit of that there that I'm, I'm cautious about. Uh, so I think if that makes sense, um, I think that that's something uh, that COVID has, has brought to us. I'm just thinking back to, you know, it feels like forever ago now, but COVID was front and center in the news. And we had emergency physicians on, you know, primetime news networks every single evening. And I kept thinking to myself, you know, is this a, a good thing or a bad thing in terms of medical student recruitment into this specialty? And so I'm wondering if you could uh, comment based off of your own experience, the, the folks that you've talked to, do, do you think COVID has really impacted students' decisions to go into emergency medicine and or where they chose to apply, where they wanted to end up? You know, how, how much of that has been impacted by the pandemic? Yeah, no, I, great question. I think that the the overall impact has been it's been a maybe a mixed bag um and that's sort of from my personal experience talking to students uh knowing that our students had less overall exposure from a clinical perspective during the pandemic last year um the other side of it is the overall specialty has had way more exposure as you mentioned uh and so i think that there's there are students that probably their interest was peaked um where they might not have had that initial sort of door open for them. Um, so I think from that, that end, it, it's been a bit of a mixed bag. And I think that that's something that we'll have to wait and see how that plays out, um, whether or not ultimately a student was, you know, 
exposed to the specialty, interested in the specialty, but did they have enough information to really make that informed choice, um, enough guidance and mentorship? And I think that the virtual season in that way, or the virtual environment in that way has been maybe a double-edged sword because it's, it's spawned, I think, a number of opportunities to, to, uh, to gain access to mentors within your program and ex external to your program as well to go through and, and give you some of that, you know, here's emergency medicine, here's what it really is um, with regard to the double-edged sort of shift work, right? The, the, the practice of emergency medicine, whether or not this is a good fit. So I think we'll see if that plays out well um, when we get to, you know, a year or two into uh, having gone virtual because of COVID. Yeah, Mike, you know, this year they, they couldn't have done as many away rotations, which I know is always a great kind of in-person job interview. We, we usually have residency fairs. I know TSEP, Texas College of Emergency Physicians, does a great job. And I know you and I have been a part of that where people can actually meet you, sit down, talk, uh, you know, hear from the different programs, you know, SAM, ASEP, all these things went virtual. So how did this really affect the residency recruitment season? Um, how did you feel knowing that we couldn't do those bigger events? Uh, how did that go? Yeah, so I think with maybe I'll, I'll sort of take that in pieces. So with regard to like the the preseason um, outlay of effort, I know for our program it was a significantly increased effort uh, to try to be out there at a variety of different panels, put on our own panels, uh, be present at you mentioned um, state and national uh, residency recruitment fairs. Um, and I think that I've, I saw those go with, you know, sort of a, a, a group room as well as individual. I know that the students really appreciated having sort of those few minute stints with, with uh, residency and, and student leadership. Um, so I think from, from that end, I, I would imagine the preseason, my, my, my perspective was that the overall exposure there was greater um, than it might've been uh, in prior years where, where everything was done in person. So I think that might actually be a, a, a plus from, a, from an applicant perspective. So I think from a, uh, a potential you know, review for a interview offer, and so therefore screening um, in a word, the, the overall approach I don't think has changed dramatically at least you know, from my perspective we are still looking at the same things that we were looking at. And this goes back to the program director survey, the things that we put a lot of weight on. I don't know that those changed dramatically this past year um, with one, one caveat there. So we still wait heavily to slow. Um, now, obviously it's, it's one slow for the vast majority and it's a home slow for the vast majority, uh, which has some idiosyncrasies, I think. Um, but we also still wait the uh, step one score, for example, um, and COMLEX scores. And so uh, those, are, those are things that will definitely impact the applicants. Those have always impacted the applicants with regard to screening. The caveat I mentioned, I think there's a concept of holistic review. And I think that is really catching on for a significant uh, number of programs. I don't know about the majority, but I would say it's definitely a trend um, that has really specifically this year as well. I think programs are really trying to pay much more attention to a granular approach to um, the applicant that doesn't just involve some sort of binary things on a spreadsheet, um, like a step score, um, like a slow um, and a global assessment. So 
that has been a trend that I think has been maybe maybe uh, accelerated with the pandemic and with COVID. Um, and it's a challenge still because I think the overall average number of, of applications for a program, we talked about the overall average number of applicants increasing, the number of spots increasing, but certainly the number of applicants and the number of applications has increased. And so programs are seeing um, a glut of, of applicants uh, that they have to review. And the time frame has was also a little bit compressed to try to get that review done and that screening done to make those initial offers this year. So that's a challenge. Um, and the holistic process is a labor intensive process, uh, labor of love, but it's, it's, it takes time. And so, um, I think that, uh, everyone's doing this slightly differently. Um, and I think for our program in, 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 you know, you know, I can speak to what we do. Um, we still have our same screening process in place with some holistic filters as best we can make them. So we look at every single application that comes through and we put them through our initial screen. And then we go and we do a little bit more of a holistic review on the top half of that list. So metrics still matter. Um, that's absolutely a takeaway. But I think the holistic review is, is one that emergency medicine might be trailblazing with, uh, with regard to overall specialties. Um, as we did with the slow before, and now I think with holistic review. Continuing on the uh, you know the the idea of um, you know the residency application process being changed this past year, I, I I have to admit I have a secret to share with our audience, and perhaps it's not a, a well kept secret, but uh, the majority of interviews that I conducted I did from home. I didn't even go into work, um, and I think a lot of us uh, had similar experiences. So from the perspective of being a program director, Mike, can can you tell me? What do you think were some good things or bad things about virtual interviews? I think the the first thing that comes to mind is the cost savings for the applicant. I think that's that's a a win win um, win situation for applicants. Um, but I, I think that the beginning of the season, I had some real fears about whether or not I was going to be able to really get to know somebody and whether or not they were going to really be able to get to know me. I think as the season progressed, maybe it was also just you know, the growth curve and, and comfort level with a virtual environment. But I felt like that was, that was a less of an issue than I thought it was going to be. Um, so I think, you know, that I think was maybe neutral uh, in my mind. Um, the, the one part uh, from a virtual interview perspective that, that uh, might be a little bit more challenging was also their, their inability to visit the, the campus. And so we can get into that, I think in a second, but um from a from the the program's perspective, and this might also be because it was the first virtual season we had ever done. There was a lot more work, um, and so I, I always worry about that um, with regard to you know you want to make sure you're running a quality operation, and the ver the recruitment effort is a vital part of that. But at the same time, um, you can also be you know spending a tremendous amount of time focused outwardly as opposed to inwardly. Um, and so for me, there's that balance that still has to be maintained. And I think this past year, um, if we find that we're doing the same thing or more every sort of subsequent year in this process, that's a problem. Um, and I don't know if other programs experience the same thing. Um, well worth it to get into a virtual environment, but I think the, the maintenance of that space for programs is probably going to have to be looked at. Yeah, Mike, you touched on the, uh, 
students not being able to really see the programs in person. I mean, it, there, there's just nothing like getting some boots on the ground and like, wow, we are in the largest medical center in the world with Texas Medical Center where you practice and have your program. Uh, you know, I've heard from our program, like, hey, you, you can't understand the culture here until you've really been around the people or experienced the city. Um, so, you know, how, how has that really impacted students not being able to physically see the environment, the facilities, uh, the city? How, how would you think that's going to impact this next match uh, crew? Yeah, I, great question. And that one is, I think for me, the jury is still out on that. Um, but, I, you know, talking with our, our residents that have matched during a regular interview season, obviously, uh, they, they are not unilaterally, but close to unilaterally saying they would never want to do a virtual interview season. Excuse me. There's a good percentage of our of our residents that say that the the in person experience was what tipped them over for us, um, and that they uh, pity the the applicants coming in because they don't have that opportunity um, to really get that look. And we did what we could to recreate that virtually, but it was it was limited. And our institution had a no second look policy. Um, I know that wasn't sort of universal, but at the same time. I think it was it was fairly widespread, and so we definitely had a number of requests, you know, to come in and take a look. But we had to say no, and I, and, you know, even had one or two applicants, you know, email me from the park across the street, and be like, "Hey, I'm outside. I was just looking around." <laughs> I think, um, but it just speaks to the fact that I think applicants maybe also feel then, you know, that the importance of of being in the city, being you know, in the uh, on campus, if you will, and getting that real feel. Um, and I think the, the reason I say the jury's out is that it'll probably be something that programs and applicants alike will realize six months into or a year into the training program where applicants will say, you know what, this was just right. This is exactly what I thought it was going to be. Um, and, and I'm really, I'm really thrilled. Or you'll find maybe if, if people are being honest, maybe you'll find a few people that were like, I, I, I might've might have ended up, you know, at a different place that I visited. Um, and I, I don't know if that's true. There's a sort of a cautious optimism I have that that won't be the case. Um, I know that we were thrilled. I think most programs were absolutely thrilled with, with the overall process uh, with regard to outcomes. Yeah, I think the students are going to be resilient. I think they're going to land in some really cool places. And, and I know that they're going to be optimistic and, and redeem the goodness from each of the programs. And uh, they'll get through this. We've got some pretty resilient yeah. students out there. No, I agree. I agree. We've sort of mentioned some things now that uh, have come about from this pandemic, um, imposed changes to our residency application process, things like, you know, having to showcase your program online, um, holistic review of applications, the cost savings from virtual interviews. I mean, it sounds like maybe there were some good things that came out of the events of last year uh, as it relates to this. Do you think any of those things will stick around? I... I think before we even started, I was pretty convinced we were probably going to be in a virtual interview environment forevermore. Um, and I, I know I've had, I, I, talking with colleagues and, and residents um, and applicants post-match, I think that there's, there's a, a general movement in that direction to sort of maintain, at the very least, some sort of hybrid environment. I, I struggle to realize what that might be. Um, other than a virtual interview day with maybe a, a you know a second a series of second look days for the applicants that you interviewed, um, but but that also extends the overall season I think for programs and that's that was harkens back to what I was mentioning before, 
Um, so we have to, I think, be be mindful about the overall process. But I, I've been on a couple of, of different conference calls and, and listened to a couple of other program directors speak about this. And some say that regardless of what happens next year, they're doing virtual. Um, they found that it worked well for them this year and they want to continue that. Um, helps with the environment, helps with, you know, and they felt like the outcome wasn't wasn't really remarkably different um, on their end than what it was before. Uh, but I also have a, a few colleagues that also think this is, this, you know, they really would like to get back to an in-person uh, environment. So I think though, uh, it, you know, my, my sense is that we'll probably have a virtual season again, uh, given that there's still a little bit of uncertainty lingering over the pandemic and, and where, you know, everything's headed with vaccination status, whether or not we should act ask about vaccination status um, for in-person interview or not, um, and questions, questions of that, that, that tilt. So I think we'll probably end up with another virtual season this year, um, is, is my sense. Yeah, so given that you know, we're gonna kind of be in the same thing, we've got some data, we're learning from this, we're sharing the wisdom, just like on this podcast. Um, what other opportunities should students look for kind of at this stage of the game? Um, that you want to make sure that they're aware of and, and would guide? What are you advising your students to do uh, kind of looking forward into this next season? Yeah, and I think the, the, there's a little bit more freedom and I think a little bit of a return to normalcy with regard to COPA's guidance, the, the Council of Physician Accountability. Um, so with regard to away rotation um, and home rotation, so now there's sort of that expectation that you can do um, the home rotation and an away rotation. Uh, obviously, some some uh, caveats to that as well, but I think that will be overall well received on you know for an applicant for a program as well. You get you get that look at two programs uh, as opposed to um, just the one. And so I'm excited about that, and I would encourage everyone to kind of try to take advantage of that as institutional sort of local policy allows. Um, and I would encourage everyone not to go over that limit. Um, as well. And there's, I think there's still places that will allow you to, and I would, I would sort of pump the brakes there a little bit if, if I was mentoring or advising someone with maybe the rare exception. Um, and there, there are a lot of other of opportunities that I think really um, took flight this past year. And I think we'll probably see some of those being maintained with regard to remote learning um, and e-learning and, and sort of, you know, away rotations, but done remotely. Um, those, you know, with regard to the application themselves, uh, I don't know that they, at least in my mind, afforded a tremendous amount of, you know, of a boost to an applicant. So I didn't look at a, uh, a virtual learning, uh, you know, rotation and a slow or an other slow that came out of that as being, you know, tremendously impactful to a, a student's application. The flip side of that, though, is you having the overall exposure to that program. So um, that that might be another opportunity for a student to learn more about a shop and to really get a sense of okay, I met a number of faculty, a number of residents online there. I got you, you'll have much more insight into that program than you would if you had just interviewed with them. So I think that's that's something that I would imagine might continue as well, and I think it's worthwhile taking advantage of. But I wouldn't from a, a application and competitiveness perspective, I wouldn't necessarily say that that's going to be the thing that makes or breaks the bank. Gotcha. Another question that I have is, um, 
you know, I think here on the podcast, we've always considered emergency medicine to be sort of a, a reasonably competitive specialty, but that being uh, at least in part due to the fact that uh, there's been historically an over-applying problem uh, in this, you know, past season, we, we definitely saw an increase not just in the number of applications, but also the number of applicants. So can you share some insights uh, to, you know, how can students really make themselves stand out from the crowd, particularly in this uh, this new environment? Yeah, that's a great question. I think all of the same things hold true. Um, and what I would do, though, is underscore the interview. So let me let me work through that a little bit. Um, there there were a couple of charts. This is this is the program director survey uh, from 2020 um, released through the NRMP. The unfortunate thing to know about that particular data, though, is that it was only, I think, a 23 percent response rate or so. So very, you know, it's fraught with some, some difficulty there. Normally you'd hope to see more than that. And usually as a specialty, we, we do have a, a much higher response rate. Um, so take that um, with a little bit of a grain of salt, but the, the, um, the data that, that came out of there, there were a couple of tables. One um, was, and just I think backing into this answer, would be um, importance of factors determining resident success in residency programs. So in other words, what do program directors sort of see as their most successful residents? And the five highest weighted things were professionalism, quality of patient care, clinical competency, ethics, communication skills. So, and then, and then, and this kind of parallels, you know, what we weight when we look at your application for an interview offer when we look at you as a whole, you know, holistically for the, the ranking process and therefore whether or not you end up in a, in a certain residency program. So after that, you get a, a fairly steep tapering off in number of research experiences and, and volunteer experiences and um, academic performance, your, your step scores, all of those sort of things. And I don't want to say they're not important. Um, all of those are important. But when it comes down to what sort of, you know, you know, the rubber hits the road and where it really matters and you get traction, it's ultimately somebody that's still, you know, committed to being the consummate clinician. It's the balance of emotional um, intelligence with your intellectual quotient, right? So you have to be smart in a number of different ways. And I think that's where I back into the interview. And at least what I saw after the match this year and when we had applicants both from our own institution and applicants that um, I realized didn't match when they reached out to me after the fact. And the, the, I'm specifically talking about the cohort of applicants where I would, I would say we'd all be shocked that you didn't match into emergency medicine. I think there's been an up, my, my senses, and I don't have the data behind this, but my sense is there's an uptick in those quality applicants that didn't, that didn't end up matching into emergency medicine. The ones that we would look at and say, you should reapply. You belong in the specialty if you really want this. Um, I think you have a good shot if you reapply. Where I found, um, and with my, my N of one program director reviewing the people in front of me, um, where I found that really kind of to ring true during this season more than others in my experience was the interview. And it was just they fell a little bit flat on the interview. And I think there are probably a few things that went into that. One of which uh, was whether or not they had been coached, whether or not they sort of knew how they were perceived in the virtual environment. Um, That mattered more this year, in my opinion. 
the uh, the other side of it is in all honesty, and, and maybe maybe also informing this is most programs increased the number of interviews that they did by maybe 10% plus or minus. That's 10% more really high quality applicants that you're in the pool with. And if your interview didn't go quite as well, or you didn't sort of just, you know, come off the screen and really impress the, uh, the people you were with, or really have a genuine sort of enthusiasm or engagement with that program, you might be in, in their buffer, right? Not that you got tanked on their list, but you ended up getting a little bit further down. And because they interviewed 10% more, that was even further down than it typically would have been. And I think that's maybe what colluded to having those, those particular individuals go unmatched. And so I think the interview this year, um, and it's a fine line, right? But I think, you know, we, I give you an example of an applicant that is awesome on paper. There's no red flags. They're, they're average to above average, really on all of their metrics. Um, they have great, a great slow or maybe two slows. Um, that's a great person on paper. And then you meet them and they're great in person. But there's this sort of sense that they're not interested in your program, right? For us, that applicant still ranks where they rank and they, they're, they, they'd probably end up in a, in a guaranteed match spot, right? And I think that's appropriate. Versus a great applicant on paper, same applicant, that interviews with, with you and there's just no enthusiasm, no engagement. There's no sort of, you know, they, maybe it's, maybe you sense, okay, are they a little bit arrogant um, or are they a little bit um, just disinterested in the program or the city or the, you know, that you just get a sense they just, they, why are you even interviewing today? That applicant is different in that I might, I, I might now know they really don't want to be in my program or at least that's what you kind of emoted. And so I don't want somebody who's going to be unhappy here matching with me. That were, that might be where you actually start to fall down their rank list. And so I, it's, a, it's a little bit of semantics, but I think trying to make that tangible to applicants is important. And so, you know, you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot. Put your best foot forward. And it could be that you're just not necessarily feeling that program as a fit for you. That's okay. Um, and you should put them down your rank list. Uh, it's, it's, but the other side of that is, um, you don't want to necessarily give them reason to put you down the rank list, if that makes sense. Gotcha. Well, a lot of wisdom today, uh, Dr. Van Meter, if, uh, students or any of our listeners want to get a hold of you, should they follow you on any of the social media handles or emails? Oh, I'm, I'm definitely more of a, I, I think a stalker than ta- a talker <laughs> on, on social media. Um, but at MVM UTH is my Twitter. Yeah, I, and email is usually the best way to get in touch with me. Um, and actually, the residence email is online. You can go through there. Uh, and if it's addressed to me, it'll get to me. Um, and so I look forward to hearing from anybody that has questions or that I can, I can be of assistance to. Well, thanks again, Dr. Van Meter. We've got an uh, expert here with a lot of experience. And we'd encourage you to uh, go to uh, his website and go ahead and look up the McGovern College of Medicine, Emergency Medicine Program at University of Texas, Houston. So thank you again for coming on our show. So students, thanks again for listening to another episode of the EM Stud Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our parent organization, the Clerkship Directors in Emergency Medicine, and the Society for Academic Emergency Medicine, please visit us at www.saem.org/cdem. You can also follow us on Twitter 
I'm at the handle EnigCoach, and you can reach Dr. Nate at ERBRN8. Good luck to all of our students out there. Hope we get to meet you on the trail. Rotate well, my friends. Thank you.